Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the State of Dallas podcast. I'm Billy Embody. Thanks for listening to this SMU podcast, a part of the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast network. And look, um, we're out of our usual studio for this week's edition. Uh, but what is also changing on this week's episode is I am coming at you as a future ACC podcast as SMU last week was accepted into the league, which was looking at expansion opportunities with Cal, SMU, and Stanford like we talked about. We told you guys that this was potentially coming down the pipeline, and sure enough, uh, SMU's wealthy group of boosters and donors have gotten it done as the school is going to forego nine years of TV revenue to join the league and really just help that league get some new money into the fold with SMU, Cal, and Stanford joining the league in time for the 2024 season. And um, before we get into the week one matchup for SMU between uh, them and the Bulldogs of Louisiana Tech, as well as preview SMU OU, we got to talk about this because it was just so important that this got across the finish line for the school. And if you're an SMU fan and you're a casual fan, I think a lot of people have now jumped into this headfirst um, supporting SMU because from the school side of things, they have a lot of donors who are wealthy, who have given a, a lot of money and have supported athletics, but they also haven't elevated to that next level. And you're going to see that now. They obviously have this group of 12 or twelve to 15 billionaire uh, donors that, that have really supported the programs. Um, across the board. Uh, there's been a lot of coverage of that as SMU's you know, had to forego this TV revenue. And um, But there's also a more casual group of donors that are now going to get involved. I mean, as an alum myself, a lot of my friends who are a little bit more casual are sending some more links, sending some more um, stories about SMU joining the ACC, looking at getting more involved in supporting, whether it be football or buying basketball tickets. So it's it's been a long time coming for a school that obviously went through the death penalty and has been trying to battle back ever since. And it's been a long, long road for this school to get to that point where they can be in a power conference. And now you're, you're seeing it happen before your very eyes where SMU is uh, now back among the college football elites. And um, what a perfect time for this to happen. Uh, it is um, a program that has invested over $200 million in facilities over the past few years that are either completed or ongoing just with the football program um, already. But um, now you have a donor group that can has gotten the facilities aspect out of the way and now is all in on supporting this move to the ACC. It'll help in recruiting in a big way. A lot of the 2024 class is already set in stone for SMU, but you're also going to see when it comes to transfer recruiting, it'll get easier going into a power five league, but it'll also see that talent level maybe elevate a little bit as they look to building that 2024 roster, which is going to need to be upgraded as they jump up into a power five conference. And SMU does have that NIL support to do it and to address the roster in a big way. And, and we saw in week one what this 25 member transfer class can do. We've also seen guys that are returning. Uh, we got our first taste of year two under Rhett Lash, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, for SMU to get to this Power 5 
conference is just a massive step for this program. Um, and I think the biggest thing you'll see is that 2025 recruiting class. It's a really strong class in the state of Texas. It's a strong class in the Dallas area, which SMU is trying to make really its home base for recruiting. And now this the staff has that last kind of hurdle out of the way. Uh, a lot of it has always been, you know, SMU has been close on a lot of kids or um, they're missing out on some of these four-star type of prospect because they're not in the power five ranks. Well, now they can sit there and say, Hey, we are power five. We're going to play Florida state, Clemson, North Carolina, Boston college, Miami, and others. And on the flip side, you're going to see some of these prospects maybe show a little bit more interest, maybe give SMU a little bit more of a look because they do have uh, that type of uh, pedigree now to them when they go and they sit in a, uh, recruits home, they can say, look, we, we are going to play um, these these programs that are more storied than, you know, welcoming a, a Charlotte or a um, yeah, Rice. I mean, sorry, that's in state, but still it's it is Rice um, to, you know, Ford Stadium, Moody Coliseum, what have you. I mean, on the basketball side of things, you're going to see it impact things in a big way as you're going to have Duke and North Carolina and all these all the other programs making their way um, on the basketball side of things to Moody Coliseum. So um, it's joining a league that is locked in right now for 13 more years with the grant of rights. So how, how will it change over that time? We'll see if some of these other schools that have been upset with maybe the money they're receiving or just kind of the direction of the league can get things you know sorted out. But if you're SMU, this is a no-brainer move for you as a program. You have so many options now that you're in the club. And in all reality, you're going to see this school be in this club now for a decade plus. And that's really, really important uh, for establishing the credibility. The job is not finished. SMU now has to work out scheduling for 2024 for football and other programs. They have to get with the ACC in terms of how they're going to work out Olympic sports, which now have to bring in Cal and Stanford from the West Coast all the way over um, to the uh, to the the Dallas area where they're all going to compete and they're all going to um, meet in the middle uh, in a way to um, to piece this all together. So if you're SMU, this has been played so well uh, by this administration. They really just went all in um, from the donors to the to the administration, to the consultants. So it's been a long time coming for a program that was dealt the death penalty years ago. And um, it, it's a celebration that is still ongoing. And um, for SMU fans, it, it, the weekend couldn't have gone any better. You get into the ACC on Friday, and then you turn around and you take care of business 31 to nothing at the half against Louisiana Tech. You move on uh, with a 38-14 win. Second half wasn't perfect by any means, but um, a win is a win. They got up big and they cruised from there. And then on top of that, they saw TCU, Baylor, Tech all go down. Um, so what a weekend it was for if you're an SMU fan just overall. And of course, all the coverage on this um, on our site on the PonyExpress.com, a part of the On3 network, as well as just national reporters, just kind of you know giving SMU their due for, for what they were able to uh, put together and um, really just... Um, change in terms of the, the direction and um, the, the overall um, 
just future of SMU football and basketball and all these other uh, programs. It's just a, a night and day um, just direction now for SMU athletics. So the, the fun is just, just beginning. So um, check out our work at ontheponeyexpress.com. I'm Billy Embody. I cover SMU for on three, but of course, a part of the Dave Campbell's uh, Republic of Football Podcast Network. Excited uh, to now bring them a ACC podcast, um, at least starting this summer um, with, with our entire crew of uh, podcasts across the state of Texas covering these colleges that um, the competition just went up a little bit in recruiting with SMU now joining the ACC. So in week one, SMU did go out and beat Louisiana Tech 38-14. Like I said, they were coming off of a week zero win over FIU. Uh, they pulled it out uh, in the final seconds, them being the Bulldogs. So they did have a week of film that they already uh, had out there for SMU to study, but also they but really there were plenty of kinks thrown in Louisiana Tech's uh, game plan by SMU's defense. That was one of the better opening performances I've seen from an SMU defense. They shut out Louisiana Tech at the half. Uh, they grabbed a pick six off of Hank Bachmeyer. Corey Roberson, the Oklahoma transfer, returned it. Uh, they were in Hank Bachmeyer's grill pretty much all game. Um, it was nonstop. They were able to get pressure on him. They were able to disrupt his timing. They got seven sacks. Uh, they they saw impacts from transfers. They saw impact impacts from freshmen. They saw impacts from returning players. Um, and it was a, a terrific showing defensively, in particular for SMU. Um, and offensively, they were able to get things done. They saw some contribution contributions from some returning players, like an RJ Maryland uh, finding the end zone, Nolan Matthews Harris finding the end zone and the receiving side of things from Preston Stone, who made his first career start at home uh, in the 38-14 win. Preston Stone finished 23 of 37, 248 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers on the day. That was big. And SMU overall played a clean game. They do have some penalties they need to clean up. They had a, a pass interference, a couple other penalties here and there. But, um, you know, offensively, um, I think the story was the balance, 230, 248 yards through the air, 209 on the ground. SMU was able to lean a little bit heavier on the run once they built that big lead. LJ Johnson had 14 carries for 128 yards and one touchdown. 67 of those 128 yards came on one carry, a big run in the second half. Um, and they were able to, uh, to kind of you know, put the game on ice from there with that drive. Uh, I think for SMU, they did offensively show that they have to clean some things up as they head into this game against Oklahoma. They did run the ball with a, kind of a mixed bag of success. It wasn't uh, as clean as you would have thought, but I think for SMU, just trying to put together a lot of different faces at running back with the offensive line was something that they were working on uh, from the get-go. And I think now that they do have a game under their belt where they have film that they can look back on and, and see where maybe some of the reads, either from the running back side of things or some of the, the blocking schemes need to be cleaned up. I think that's very typical uh, for a game one. And, and SMU was clearly the better team, both athletically and just, just physically and, and, and their depth. 
and they were able to take care of business against Louisiana Tech. This is looking like maybe a Louisiana Tech team that's going to be among uh, the bottom of their conference this season. And I think for SMU to just be able to run the ball 41 times and just know that the game was completely out of reach, they're not necessarily going to be, you know, a team that looks back on this game and say, well, we ran our plays. This was on our playbook. Oklahoma, Rhett Lashley said after the game that he was very stubborn in his game plan. He was stubborn in his play calling. They didn't want to show too much. And I think they did put out some tape for Oklahoma in terms of having to prepare for some usual things like reverses and jet sweeps. They rolled out their H-back formation with Stoney E.B. Um, and Elijah Chapman. Uh, didn't see any time at H-back, but they did roll that out. So that is something that OU now has to prepare for. Um, they, they just were able to be vanilla enough in the run game. I didn't see anything that really was you know, crazy or different and all of that with the run game. And I, and I think that's important too, because this is a football team that wants to be more physical, more downhill in terms of their run style uh, this year. And, and I think they can get there. I think they can absolutely, you know, turn things into a, um, into a more physical style of running. Uh, and I think that's something that SMU really would love to do um, this fall because they have that running back group. They have that talent in the backfield that, um, you know, most teams would really love to have. And for SMU uh, to have that now in the backfield, they're going to be able to um, maybe just push a little bit harder and lean on some of those running backs a little bit more. But when it comes down to what SMU has in that backfield, um, they do have the talent. They've just got to find those running lanes and maybe be a little bit better in terms of um, putting it all together because it is a group that you have so many different styles of run uh, running backs with a Jalen Knighton, a LJ Johnson, um, a Tyler Levine. We didn't see much of Bel Belton Gardner. Kamar Wheaton was suspended for game one, but he'll be back next week. And so now that you have those guys that have gotten their experience and they've been in a game behind their offensive linemen, they've, they've seen some of the blocking up, up close. You know, Jalen Knighton, you know, was away from the Rhett Lashley offense for a year while he was at Miami in 2022. And Rhett Lashley was back at SMU. Now he's gotten that experience running behind those schemes again. LJ Johnson looked comfortable. Um, he's that physical style of runner that SMU really likes that they've added. Um, they also have Jalen Knighton who missed some opportunities to have some explosive plays. He had a couple of receptions in the game, but only totaled, um, I think it was two receptions for six yards and some of the blocking on those and some of the passes could have gotten there quicker. They could have been put in better position to make some plays and those opportunities against Oklahoma are going to be important for SMU if they're going to be able to knock off the Sooners. You know, this is a Oklahoma team that is coming off the 73 to nothing win over Arkansas State. And if you're SMU right now, you're you're going to have to find a way to hit your opportunities in the short passing game, whether you roll out the screen game, whether you roll out um, the the um, the just those opportunities to make big plays SMU has to be able to put those together and if they don't that's where they're going to miss some of those opportunities to take it to OU um, and make some plays and have a competitive game so you know SMU 
their staff has said week one to week two, that's where we feel like we're going to see the biggest jump. And if you're going into this game against Oklahoma, they're going to have to. You know, this is a Sooners team that uh, in talking with a lot of our people at Sooner Scoop, they felt like that was the most complete performance from an Oklahoma team under Brent Venables, which, again, he's a second year coach. They're changing the culture. They're doing some things differently, but they also have their returning quarterback back. Uh, they were also able to get Jackson Arnold in there, the you know highly touted freshman that they were able to get into the game, and he had some success as well. So this is a team that is coming off of a confidence showing in week one against Arkansas State, a team that is going to be among the worst in college football, it looks like, but you still have so much talent at Oklahoma, and they also have a ton of new faces. For SMU, they're wide receivers. They're going to have to make plays. I think in the passing game for SMU, that was one of the biggest takeaways I saw from week one was – Yes, they made some plays. R.J. Maryland had a great touchdown catch. Nolan Matthews-Harris hauled in a nice reception in the red zone from Preston Stone. Jordan Hudson, the highly touted TCU transfer, made an incredible play to open the scoring, 67-yard touchdown. But you also had guys like a Jordan Curley drop a deep ball. Um, you know, I think it was Jake Bailey maybe. Had, he had a great reception down the field. Uh, no, it was called back um, for a penalty. He had a, he had a really incredible catch over the middle. It was called back on a penalty. Those things can't happen in Norman this week if you're SMU. Defensively, the big thing that I took away from the Louisiana Tech game is without a doubt the defensive line. Uh, they were just terrific. And Jordan Miller at that nose tackle position, Elijah Roberts at that strong side defensive end, Elijah Chapman got in there a good bit, Corey Roberson as well, Devere Levelston got some stats. It is a completely different group in terms of the three down defensive linemen that they have. And we saw them collapse the pocket from the interior, something that SMU did not do much of last year. Then you add in the pass rush with Nelson Paul, Cam Robertson, Jalen Samuels. Those guys were able to get a lot of pressure on Hank Bachmeyer and get him off of his, his rhythm. And I think that was so important when watching um, what this defense was able to do. Isaiah Smith also got got in there with a couple pressures. So that is going to be one of the matchups to watch because coming off of week one against Louisiana Tech, I don't feel as confident about SMU's offense because they did miss opportunities to make some big plays. They made a couple here and there, but a lot of it was, you know, just they needed to be more crisp than they were. I think they missed some opportunities. It was timing. They had a couple penalties here and there. They missed two field goals. So it could have been, you know, 44 to seven uh, or 44, 14 is what the game could have ended up if they were able to you know, make two field goals. Colin Rogers is now kind of a question mark. He made one of three field goals, missed a long one, but missed a short one off the upright. That was kind of concerning as well. So, now that we've seen that, this offense has to capitalize when it has opportunities to make big plays. That's where the offensive line has to hold up if you're SMU. But that's also why the defense has to get Dylan Gabriel off of his timing. They're coming off a game where they're probably feeling pretty confident just in terms of how crisp they were. They were on point with their timing. Those are all things that SMU seeing on tape. But they also have a secondary that does have some depth and talent and is coming off a good performance against Louisiana Tech. They were able to limit Smoke Harris um, to very little production in that game overall, very few yards after catch especially. So if you're SMU, 
the way you're going to beat the Sooners is with really right now leaning on that defense. I mean, that was a it is going to be a considerable jump from Louisiana Tech to Oklahoma. But SMU's defense does have the depth and talent, in my opinion, to be able to be successful at defending whatever Oklahoma throws at them. And for me, I watched that secondary, made a couple of plays. They were competitive. They were in position. They had one bust, I would say, on their t- on Louisiana Tech's touchdown reception. It was a 50-yarder. Uh, I think it was uh, Kevin uh, Duro, uh, Duro uh, who was able to bring that in. Yes, uh, Kevin Duro, uh, who was able to bring that – Kobe Duro, who was able to bring that in 50-plus yards for the touchdown. And that was about it offensively for them. They scored late in the game and under a minute um, when the backups were in on SMU. SMU's defense has the talent and the depth to give Oklahoma some trouble here and there. They play hard. They play in their lanes, all those things. That's just trying to project the jump from Louisiana Tech to Oklahoma. Is SMU going to get seven sacks? Are they going to get – they had – 11 tackles for loss. Are they going to do that next week or this week against Oklahoma? Probably not. Probably not. Oklahoma with Tyler Guyton as one of the better offensive lines you're going to find, especially in the Big 12. They have some key pieces up front. They're a veteran group. Bill Biedenboe has always done a good job getting those Oklahoma uh, offensive lines together. So SMU is going to have to make plays when they're there. They're not going to get as much pressure as they did on Louisiana Tech, in my opinion, at least. I, I don't know how likely that is that they're able to get after Dylan Gabriel like that. And he's a little bit quicker with the trigger. He's got a lot of talent around him that he can get the ball out to and get them in space and do all those things. Drake Stoops is expected back. Andre Anthony, Andrell Anthony is expected um, you know, to make an impact as well. He's a highly touted guy that and then their running back room really, really talented too. So um, looking at Oklahoma and what they were able to do last week against Arkansas State, it's really tough to take away some, you know, really strong, um, I guess, really strong takeaways because it is against Arkansas State. But one thing that SMU will have to contend with is Dylan Gabriel's accuracy. It was maybe a concern last year when he was missing open throws, but he was absolutely on point when it came to completing those passes this year against Arkansas State. Now, here's here's the thing. SMU has a chance to maybe get him off of his timing, off of his um, your reads, if they can get after him with a Nelson Paul Cam Robertson, Jalen Samuels, and Isaiah Smith. If they can find a way to do that, maybe we see last year's Dylan Gabriel pop up a little bit. You know, that that is something where Scott Simons, the defensive coordinator for SMU, is going to have to dial up some pressures. I didn't see too many dialed up pressures from SMU against Louisiana Tech. I thought they were fairly vanilla. But one thing we did see from the linebackers is we saw them make plays. And, and I thought, you know, Alex Kilgore, the freshman who got the stop, uh, got the start um, next to Ahmad Walker, had two sacks. They also had Jaquandis Burns uh, with a sack as well. 
and he was a returning guy. So um, this is this is a team that has some pieces at linebacker that if Scott Simons wants to activate them, could help them in a big way. And if you're Oklahoma, they're going to have to account for them. You know, they were very active in game one. This is a group that is still coming together, still has some options in terms of who they could play there. They played a lot of Alex Kilroy, Kobe Wilson, Chris Adamore, Jaquandis Burns, Ahmad Walker. That's five guys that they could play across the board. Will that rotation maybe whittle down a little bit? I don't know. I don't know if they're ready to go to that in, in week two. I think we're going to see a lot of rotating among the defensive line and secondary still. But linebacker is a position that they are still really working out where those guys are going to play in terms of their numbers of snaps because it is such a new look group. But they were complimentary of all the guys. Again, it was Louisiana Tech. It's kind of a hard, hard one to gauge, especially without their top running backs being available. But when you have a, a linebacker group that plays behind a defensive line that now we've been able to see just how big and physical they are in games, that's important. Now we have context. We didn't have that going into the season. What we saw was a massive defensive line that does have some experience and depth. And now you have a defensive line that we've seen them take over the game against Louisiana Tech in a, in a dominant way that I haven't seen from an SMU team in quite some time. And now you have the context of those linebackers playing behind them. And when it comes to that linebacker group, they're talented. They all complement each other well. And for the most part, they can run. And that's where, if you're Oklahoma, probably the what you're trying to figure out is how you can scheme up some of those quality running looks for Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk to assert themselves with because they do have the talent to be impressive when they get going. But that's the key is they've got to get going. OU doesn't have a number one back right now. Um, and against Arkansas State, they were probably able to get away with it. But this week, SMU is a little bit more of a step up for them. And so if you're going to come in and not be able to establish a run against SMU and SMU's defensive line can maybe pin their ears back a little bit because they do have the size. And that's one of the hardest things to contend with if you're an opposing offense, unless the guys are just truly that, that big and slow. But SMU has enough size and athleticism to hold down that front line. It's just a matter of can they consistently do it when they do rotate players in there, when they do get different guys in there to give different looks, Oklahoma has to be able to run on that. They've got to find that success because if they don't, SMU with that athleticism is going to give it a shot to pin their ears back and really affect Dylan Gabriel in this passing attack. And um, that's where this game can get dicey. I think for me, as I evaluate this game, I don't see this one being a close one in a way. If Oklahoma's going to win, I think they're going to win by about 11, 12 points, and we'll see kind of how it goes. If SMU wins this one, I think they're going to win by 9 to 12 points. I, I just don't see it as that close of a matchup, whichever way it goes. I feel like when you look at Oklahoma, 
They are the home team. They're going to feed off that energy. SMU's offense did not look as crisp as I think it needed to for me to predict that SMU is going to win. I think Oklahoma is going to win something like 38-27, somewhere in that range. Um, and if you're SMU, you've got to hold Oklahoma right at that 30-point mark, maybe right below it, to then flip it on them and, and win that way because SMU's defense, they're good. At least from week one, their showing was good. They were able to have a lot of things that they can build off of and play confident going into this game. They have reason to be confident, whether it was shutting down Smoke Harris, getting after Hank Bachmeyer, limiting the running game, all those things. Those are reasons to feel confident. And the same goes with Oklahoma across the board. They're, they're a team that's going to be really confident going into this one. But I think the discrepancy between Oklahoma and Arkansas State was much more apparent. And they got rolling and they never looked back, 73 to nothing. That is as dominant as a, a beatdown as you're going to find. I think I saw 81 to 7, somebody else, I think maybe it was Oregon or something like that, had that margin. But Oklahoma, I think, had the widest margin of victory in all of FBS this, this past weekend. So now for SMU, they're going to have to elevate their game. They really got to elevate it offensively to put up some points. I mean, you look at what SMU was able to do in the second half, not much, one touchdown. You know, again, two missed field goals, not great. You have to play a complete game this week. The defense did that last week. I Coaches can talk about the last, you know, touchdown or whatever, going against backups being the you know last score and all that stuff, but not for me. I, I that They were, at, you know, playing their backups completely, getting other guys in there against Louisiana Tech late. They were able to drive down the field, and that was that. When I look at the complete game that SMU played as a starting defense, that's the encouraging thing. And that is the most important thing that I took away from SMU's chances as far as slowing down Oklahoma. I think when you look at OU, they have a lot of really good players. I think their offensive line is key, but it, it does kind of remind me of some of these TCU games under Gary Patterson that SMU was able to come away with when Sonny Dykes was here. Um, they, they have a big physical offensive line, but they didn't have that go-to guy in the run game. Uh, they had some talent at receiver and they had some speed, but it wasn't utilized as well. Jeff Levy, I have more confidence in him and getting Dylan Gabriel going than, you know, you know, whatever TCU was running, uh, back then in the later years of Gary Patterson. But I don't see OU having that CD lamb out there that we've seen in the past. Um, or Sterling Shepard, guys like that. And and I think a lot of the OU guys will back that as well. And they need a running back to step up. You know, they had to go out in the portal and address tight end. There's a lot of things that OU still needs to figure out offensively to see if they're legit or not. Um, and SMU will prove a good test. I, I'm fairly confident we're going to see SMU play competitive with Oklahoma. Will they be able to win? I can't predict that right now. Just SMU has not been able to do it. They haven't been able to go on the road and beat, an, beat a Power 5 program other than TCU on the road. They haven't been able to do it. And so they've got to be able to break through that um, in the future because they are now going to the Power 5. So it's going to be something they face week in, week out. But now this Oklahoma team is playing with some confidence defensively. I think the secondary is probably why I feel best about OU beating SMU. I think from what I saw week one, again, you didn't see Jordan Curley make a big play. You didn't see... Jake Bailey outside of that catch that was called back, make a big play. But you did see a guy like Jordan Hudson. You did see RJ Maryland and Nolan Matthews Harris step up. 
But other than that, you know, Moochie Dixon had some moments. There just wasn't that much in terms of the passing game, in terms of explosive plays. That really made me feel good about it going against a secondary that has a Billy Bowman, that has a Peyton Bowen, that has Gentry Williams and guys like that that really do have the talent to impress in a big way. So for me, I've got to pick Oklahoma to win. I think I, I think I've said 38, 27 um, is what I've said. So I'm going to go with that with the Sooners this week. Um, but I do expect SMU to play a super competitive game. I don't think this is going to be a blowout and it shouldn't be SMU is way too talented. We talked about, you know, the support with NIL earlier in the podcast with SMU moving to the ACC, but now they have, plenty of talent and depth that we've seen that needs to translate into them going on the road and playing well. Last year against Maryland, SMU shot itself in the foot. They missed opportunities in the red zone. They missed out on a fourth, converting a fourth down on a simple pitch and catch. That would have been a big score early in that game. Tanner Mordecai had a fumble. We saw moments where SMU was not able to capitalize on a game that they should have won. They really should have beat Maryland last year. How much can some of those players who were there for that one last year share that information and and show why that is something that they can kick the door down on and get across to the next level? That might be one of the biggest pieces of learning experiences that this team has because they do have enough players that were there and experienced that say, hey, this is not as big of a task for us because we've been on the road in a hostile environment. OU is a step up. They're a step up in talent. They're a step up in prestige. All those things. But SMU does have the depth this year, at least on paper, and they showed it enough against Louisiana Tech that I feel it's true to play competitive. It wouldn't shock me at all if SMU came out and was able to grab a win against Oklahoma this week. But guess what? The Sooners are also coming off a very impressive performance. So we'll see. This is going to be a fun one. I, I, I'm a little surprised it is 5 p.m. on ESPN Plus. But, hey, that's somehow sometimes how the cookie crumbles on some of these non-conference games in terms of TV. But I think we're in for a treat in Norman. So be sure to subscribe to OnThePonyExpress.com. Just a dollar for your first month or 50% off your annual subscription. We're doing that deal all the way through this weekend as we celebrate SMU joining the ACC. So um, hope you guys enjoy uh, the game this weekend. It'll be a good one. And uh, we'll be up there covering it at OnThePonyExpress.com. So appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. We'll be back in our normal studio next week, but on the road this week. So um, again, thank you for listening to the State of Dallas podcast, part of the Dave Campbell's Texas football podcast network, the Republic of Football. Give it a follow wherever you check it out, whether that be Spotify, Apple, wherever. Appreciate you guys listening and we'll catch you next week with another edition of the State of Dallas.